Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, as we uh, continue on here this week, uh, the Knicks and the Heat currently playing in the first. No Jimmy Butler for Miami. The Knicks do get Julius Randle back, and it's a one-point game with a minute left in the first quarter. Uh, the Knicks 27 and the Heat 26 goes without saying. Uh, this is a huge game for the New York Knicks. The uh, Lakers and Golden State begin their series a little bit later. And Joel Embiid, the NBA MVP. What do you want to talk about today? Glad that you were with me. You hit your hand icon and we will put you uh, right up on. The NFL draft is in the books. And are you happy with what your team did, at least on paper? Are you kind of skeptical about what your team did, at least based on what you know? And who are the teams now with free agency and the NFL draft behind us? Who do you think are the teams that are the, the power ranking, if you're going to look at just teams and what they did last year and who they added, who are the best teams in the National Football League right now? You know, again, the AFC looks loaded. I mean, they really do. I mean, when you look at the AFC East, now with Aaron Rodgers in New York, I mean, the Jets are a team you've got to at least look at. Miami, if two is healthy, is going to be right there. Buffalo is really good. Then New England might be fourth in that division right now. You know, Jacksonville looks like they're going to be solid for a couple of years. I think Tennessee's on the downward spiral. Sean Salisbury thinks Houston is going to be right in the mix in that division after their draft. You know, you look at the AFC West. Could anyone beat Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs? You look at what Denver did. I think the Raiders are going to take a step back again. You look at the Chargers there right there. NFC East, Philly looks like they got better. You look at the NFC North, I mean, don't you think Minnesota's the team to beat in that division again, even though we think that they will falter in the playoffs like they normally do? You know, you look at the 49ers, who's going to be their quarterback? We know everything else is intact. There's no doubt about that. NFC South, I think completely up for grabs. I, I just, you know, AFC North. Cincinnati, Baltimore, the National Football League. It's always good to talk about that. Doesn't matter whether it's May, doesn't matter whether it's October. We always like talking the National Football League. You know, I was talking about this. I think Ryan brought this up maybe first, but I, I had talked about this back in maybe, I don't know, January or February. I can't remember when, but it was a while ago. And I think Ryan mentioned this on the show. It might have been yesterday. I can't remember about looking at the King season 
And, you know, word is that Memphis doesn't plan on re-signing Dylan Brooks. Why would you? Why would you want a player like that around your team in your locker room? And not only did the Sacramento Kings have a really good year, they were a really fun team to root for. You know, you didn't have anybody cursing at the players, the coaches, the fans, getting suspended all the time. You didn't have any players giving fans the finger and getting in uh, brawls in New York City nightclubs. I mean, we can go on and on. You know, this team that you just watched for 82 games and the seven-game playoffs is truly a team that you want to root for. They remind me of the early 2000s when the community embraced the team, and they're easy to root for. Like, you want to pull for players that on the outside appear to be really good guys and good team players. You know, you didn't have any of the nonsense. You didn't have any suspensions. You didn't have any of the players embarrassing themselves, the team, and the community like you do in other markets in the NBA. And again, I'm using Memphis as an example. I'm even using Draymond Green as another example. People turn their head because they win, but you really shouldn't turn your head to what's right and what's wrong. You should never turn your head to that just because a player helps your team win. You know, at some point, enough is enough. And Memphis appears to have had enough with uh, Dylan Brooks. So you're lucky. You know, you're lucky that you have a team in Sacramento that's not only good now, but that is easy to root for. Because that's not true in every market in the NBA. All right. Well, who wants to be my leadoff person today? We can go in any direction you want. Again, we'll keep you track of the uh, NBA with that one game going on now. And then the Lakers and the Warriors begin their series. It's 31-29, the Knicks, uh, after one quarter. I'm surprised the Heat could be that competitive uh, without Jimmy Butler in the lineup. All right, let's get to uh, some phone calls. Why don't we start with uh, Dorian? Dorian, welcome to the program. Good to have you on today. How are you, buddy? What's up, Grant? I'm doing so awesome. Happy Tuesday to everybody here. Grant, I wanted to ask you, man, what is the process like for the exit interviews and just for like, you know, once the season's over for every player, like, is there, can you just give us some information about the process about, you know, what happens after the season? And I know, you know, I've watched the media about the, you know, the exit interviews, but is there anything beyond that? Like, dude, does coach Mike Brown, does he meet with everybody individually or how does that work? Both. Uh, you have exit interviews with the general manager uh, and the head coach. And uh, it, uh, you can be very forthcoming in there, what you like, what you didn't like, what they liked about you, what they didn't like, what's your contract like, you know, what are their plans moving into, you know, the future. Um, they get, it's a feeling out, you know, like, um, what do you think we need to do to get better? You know, where are you at? You know, you know, it's, it, it's, it encompasses a whole bunch of different things. That makes sense. Cool. Awesome. Well, this one asked. Thanks. Thanks so much, Grant. Thank you. Bye bye now. All right. Let's get to uh, Jeff. Jeff, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm doing great, Grant. How about yourself? I'm good. Thank you, buddy. What can I do for you? Well, you know, I've been listening to a lot of the talk shows and stuff, and the name they're bringing up lately is Magic Johnson, and uh, you usually hear the GOAT, you know, uh, Michael Jordan or uh, LeBron James, but they're comparing, they're, now the new comparison is Magic and Curry. What's your take on Magic or Curry? Well, I think it's impossible to compare errors because the game is totally different. When Magic played, there really wasn't the three-point shot. And so I think the game's totally different. I don't think you can compare errors. I mean, obviously, championships are what a lot of people 
look at when they compare great players and they both have multiple championships with multiple MVPs, right? So, you know, um, you're going to win with either one. If, if you have Magic, you're going to win. And if you have Curry, you're going to win. How's that, how's that answer your question? Well, I, 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 that answered pretty well, but I, I think Magic is more valuable because he could play any position. And, he, you know, he was just a master passer and, uh, you know, a facilitator. And everything, but he was, he was just a big, good general on the team, and he was a good leader. And I don't remember him being too embarrassing or didn't get any big technical fouls or being, you know, being stupid like you were just talking about some of these other players. I don't remember him embarrassing his team or whatever. So Jerry Reynolds said this about Magic. He said he was the only player in his era that could have been an All Star at all five positions to embellish your point. He also said the same thing about LeBron James in this era that, you know, he's the only player in the NBA that could be an all-star at all five positions. But when you look at magic, he could have been an all-star as you point out, you know, uh, at even at center as well as point guard. So yeah, I would, for that reason, if I'm going to rank players, I would have him just slightly ahead of Steph Curry. Yes, I would. Right. Right. So and who, and have you announced your take on who, who your favorite in the Lakers Warriors series yet? I have not. Um, I, I didn't even really get into it. They're going to start playing uh, tonight. Uh, to me, um, I, I, I'm going to I don't I'm not rooting for any team in this series. So let me first of all, preface it that way. I'm not rooting for any team, uh, but I think the Lakers are going to win the series. What about you? Wow, that's I, I, well, I'm, I'm going to go with the Warriors again, because they, if they have before the core four, <laughs> and if Looney plays anywhere near what he played, against the lake uh, against the kings you know i know he's got to go up against davis which is he you know is better than sabonis at center position but uh the lakers they only they're like a two-man team and the warriors is a four-man team four all-stars i don't i don't agree with that the lakers were a two-man team before the trade deadline they're a lot more than a two-man team right now see i don't agree with that i think the notion is that the lakers only have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, but that's not true. They, that, that's not true at all. They have D'Angelo Russell, okay, and they have Austin Reeves, who's been playing great. Um, so I, I don't, I don't agree with that, and and I don't agree with that at all. Okay, all right, Grant. We have a heck of an evening. Okay, Jeff. Good hearing from you, buddy. All Take right. care. Bye bye. All right, let's get to uh, some more phone calls. We say hello to Connor. Connor, welcome to the program. How are you? Doing good, Grant. How are you? I'm good. So, yeah, you mentioned Dylan Brooks a little bit and how he won't be on the Grizzlies next year. And we talk about guys like him and Draymond Green and how you couldn't see how any team would want them. But you have to assume if they both leave their organizations that they're going to sign somewhere, right? Yeah, yeah. I didn't see. I didn't say. Uh, I I actually did not say that about Draymond Green. What I what I what I because I've been saying this. There are a lot of teams that would want Draymond Green, and there are a lot of teams that would put up with his suspensions, okay? Dylan Brooks is a completely different story. Dylan Brooks is considered a destructive type of a player. Draymond Green is not destructive within the walls of the Warriors organization. Does that make sense? You have to put up with his antics, and you have to put up with his suspensions, and you have to put up with him embarrassing your franchise from time to time. But within the walls of the locker room and, and I'm fully aware I'm well aware of what happened with Jordan Poole but for the most part he's respected 
And he's a very popular person within the walls of that locker room. That is not the case in Memphis with Dylan Brooks. There's the big difference. Yeah, that's a good point because I think it was the Grizzlies that came out and said that there would be no circumstance where to be on the team next year. You don't usually see an organization put it that blatantly. That's correct. And you would, and, and there's the difference. I mean, there are players that I've been around in my 32 plus years of being involved in the NBA where I just know it's, you're never going to win when you have that individual uh, in your locker room and on your team. And that player can also be extremely talented or they can be uh, a role player or they can be, you know, a starter, but that's not good. You cannot win when you have an individual like that in your locker room. It just can't happen. It's not possible. Yeah, and then the other storyline, Joel Embiid won the MVP award. What do you think about that? Because obviously he's a great player and stuff, but I would have rather had Jokic win it. Do you think that there's anything to look into with voter fatigue and how the NBA could just get sick of voting him three years in a row? I I think that's possible, but I also think that, you know, when you look at what he did this year, I think anyone could make the argument that he deserved to be the MVP and Nikola Jokic deserved to be the MVP. So I, I don't I don't look too much into these things. I used to vote for all the postseason awards. And I will tell you that in speaking with my colleagues, we were very serious about it. We understood that it was a uh, an honor and it meant a lot to the players that we were voting for. And so we didn't just do it, you know, haphazard. We, we, we did it with a lot of communication. If we wanted more information on a player, very often we would call up, you know, one of the other announcers on the other team and pick their brain about certain things. So I will just tell you that in my experience, the voters take these things very seriously. So I'm not really sure if I would characterize it as voter fatigue, although um, I will also say this when I voted. There were times when, you know, Steve Nash had won back to back of MVPs. And then you're like, well, gee, Dirk Nowitzki has been an has not been an MVP. You know, should he? get it now because Nash has won it the last two years. I'd be lying if I said those things don't enter your mind because they do. Yeah, and then some other things I kind of saw with the MVP that Fox and Sabonis got thrown some fourth and fifth place votes. That was cool to see some recognition. Yep. But yep. one thing that was crazy is this is the first year of LeBron James in his whole career that he didn't get one MVP vote. That just I know. shows his greatness. That's pretty insane. 20 years and Every year until this year, he got at least one MVP vote. That is pretty remarkable. I mean, it really is unfreaking believable. And I don't think you could have given him an MVP vote considering, you know, they were in the play. And I just don't. I mean, you'd have to be off the wall, through the roof numbers to be an MVP caliber in terms of voting to not be one of the top six teams in your respective conferences. Yeah, and then we talk about how James Harden doesn't usually show up in the playoffs. We got to tip your hat to him. What a performance yesterday! Forty-five points and the dagger three. He played great. No, he he normally doesn't show up in the big games in the playoffs. He's always shown up in the playoffs, but not until he gets to the must-win games later in the rounds does he not show up. So I'm still skeptical about him, but I can't be skeptical about what I saw in Game One. He was freaking awesome. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, and then last thing. We've been kind of talking about it the past couple of weeks with the Yankees. Yesterday was basically kind of just the Yankees in a nutshell for the past decade or so. Aaron Boone has Domingo Herman in the game with a one hitter. He gives yep. up a base hit in the ninth. They pull him because of the analytics. They lose 3-2 walking in a runner. I mean, it's just embarrassing. Yep. They're in last place. 
And I have been saying this for, I don't know, maybe four years, five years, I think probably five years. Brian Cashman is the most overrated general manager in Major League Baseball. And the fact that Hal Steinbrenner keeps on giving him new contracts, this is what you get. Brian Cashman was great around 2007, 8, 9, 10 in that era, okay? And well, I shouldn't even say that. Let me re- let me rephrase that. He was great in the first decade of this century, okay? Since then, Brian Cashman has been a failure as general manager of the New York Yankees. I said this last year, I said it the year before, I said it the year before that, and yet they keep on having him be the decision maker of this franchise, and because of that, this is what you get. This is embarrassing. Now, with that said, it's only May 2nd, and there's a lot of baseball left, and the Yankees are the Yankees, but this is embarrassing. Yeah, and we talk about injuries, and I can't fathom how this keeps happening. You have Judge on the IL, you have Stan on the IL. Today, a report came out that Carlos Rodon had a setback in his recovery, so that's going to be yep. even longer. It just it has to be something within the organization because you can't be this unlucky year after year. That's true, but you also when you have players that hit you know 450 to 475 at home runs, you know whose bodies look like they can play football, and you swing that hard, you have a tendency to get hurt. And that's why, to me, I don't want to build my baseball team like that. If I'm the general manager, I'm building a team that puts the ball in play, that moves runners 90 feet. Yeah, I need power in my lineup. You have to have power in your lineup. But I'm not just centering my team you know, around who can hit the ball the farthest with the launch angle and all of that. So it's um, you, it, it, I, I got to tell you, it, it's mystifying to me at times. And then at other times, it's not surprising because of how these guys look physically. And when you swing the way they swing – then I think you have a tendency to hit, you know, hurt parts of your body. But it's just, it's unbelievable to me, you know, and look at Tampa, look at their payroll, right? They have every year, every single year, Tampa is like right there. And everyone in baseball goes, wow, look at Tampa, look at Tampa. Wow. Look at there. Nobody goes to their games. They got a tiny payroll and yet they're always good. Think about this. They are 23 and six. Do you know how freaking good that is? 23 and six best record in baseball, 23 and six. That's amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. And I guess with the Yankees and all of their injuries and stuff, they have a good team every year, year in, year out, but it's almost like they can never get the full product. They can never get all their guys on the field at once to see the potential that they could have. Well, first of all, they should have a good team every year. They have a, they have a payroll. You should have a good team every year. See to me, as a Yankees fan, being good doesn't mean a damn thing to me. I don't care if they're good every year. What the hell? Did, I, if they don't win, it's a failure to me. That's the that's the it, it's the expectations are different when you're a Yankees fan as if you were a Pirates fan. OK, when you're a Yankees fan, you expect to win every year. Now, you know, you're not going to win every year, but you expect to at least be in contention every year where you have a realistic chance to get to the World Series and win. I haven't felt that way about the Yankees for a long time. I said this to Sean Salisbury because Sean works in Houston last May when the Yankees were the talk of baseball last May and June. They were they were the Tampa Bay Rays at this point last year, and everybody was talking about the Yankees. And I said back in the spring, I said, Sean, listen, I'm just telling you right now, if the Yankees played the Astros in the in the series in, a, in the ALCS, they'd be lucky to win a game. There, there's no comparison between these two teams. And then, you know, the Yankees were still hot. And then after the All-Star break, they came back down to earth. And look what happened in the postseason. So as a Yankees fan, 
I don't know how you feel because I'm a lot older than you and I've experienced a lot of greatness with the Yankees. When you have a payroll like this, being good doesn't mean a damn thing to me. Being good to me is an afterthought. Being good to me is like big deal. You got to win when you have that type of a payroll. And I've also said this in the past, the Yankees payroll kind of takes the fun out of it for me because you know, the, the notion, well, they just bought their team. Well, that's what happens in baseball now. The Dodgers have bought their team. The Padres are trying to buy their team with winning. You know, that's part of baseball. And to me, it just takes some of the fun out of it. Like, I would think if you're a Tampa Bay fan, it's amazing that you have a small payroll and you can be this good year in, year out. And maybe you don't win the World Series, but the fun of that, I, it's not as fun to me when the Yankees are just good. Big deal. So they're good. Like last year, it didn't mean a damn thing to me. If you don't make it to the World Series, and I don't think you have to win the World Series, but if you don't make it to the World Series to me at least once in a while, then it's a failure. And the Yankees haven't been in the World Series. Do you even remember with your age? And I really mean this. Do you remember ever watching the Yankees in the World Series or are you too young? Too young. 2009 was the last. Okay. All I remember well, that's my okay. So that's my point. That's my point. That's the point I'm trying to make. You, who are an astute sports fan, who knows everything, don't even remember. It's very similar to your experience with the Kings you just went through. Okay, this is all new to you. So, like, when I was, you know, when, when my kids were growing up, when you when they were your age, they knew nothing but the Yankees winning the World Series. All right? You, you have, and by the way, when I was growing up, the Yankees were terrible. I mean, in the 60s, they were awful. They didn't get good until Steinbrenner bought the team in the mid-70s. The, the Yankees were horrible every year I was a fan. But now, being good doesn't mean anything to me. So what? So you're good. If you're not good, then that would be even more of an embarrassment. Yeah, the Yankees are held as a, to a higher standard, and as they should be with their payroll and their history and everything. So I'm, I'm not going to say it's championship or bust, but it's at least get to the – win the AL pennant or bust at this point. Yep. And I said, and I said this last year in the off season, and I, I still mean this. I love Aaron judge. I love everything about him. I love how he represents the Yankees. I love how he is with the fans. I love how he is with the media. He's a tremendous player, but I was on the record of saying I would not have signed him to that long of a contract. I would have gone out with that money and I would have completely spent my money on pitching and guys that can put the ball in play. And I will tell you right now, the Yankees would not be in last place if you had done that with the money. Maybe it wouldn't have been as fun because you wouldn't see Aaron Judge come up to bat four times a game. But to me, winning is more fun than watching one individual athlete. That's my opinion. Yeah, and last thing, I just remembered that one of their best relievers, Lou Trevino, is having Tommy John, so he's done for the year. Yep. So it's nothing yep. – it's just normal at this point. Usually with other teams, it's like such a bummer. But with this team, it's like – well, you know, tomorrow somebody else is going to go down. Thank you, buddy. Good call. Good call. Yep. Take care. Thanks All right, let's get to uh, some other phone calls. Why don't we say hello to Waggus? Hello, Waggus. Hey, Grant. How you doing? I'm good, buddy. What's up? Good, good. No, just really, you know, obviously, um, I thought this year, Jokic should have the MVP last year, should have been So it kind of evens out for me. But I wanted to ask you this. And last night I watched the Denver game, man. Jokic, man, he is he is so good. I mean, it, it, he just amazes me, um, you know, and on what he does. But in the era of a big man, right, uh, I mean, in, in the era of guards and, you know, three-point shooting, wouldn't it be amazing to see an NBA Finals where it's the Sixers versus Nuggets, where it's basically a matchup of two big men? It would be pretty the, amazing. And what are the chances we get that? 
I'm not a, I'm not a believer in James Harden going that way, but without Milwaukee in there right now, uh, that to me opens up the entire East. Boston has looked very. I, I, I was <laughs> I was shocked at how Boston lost those games to Atlanta, and then they lose Game One, and I'm just wondering, gee, what is going on in Boston? So, and I'm not discounting Miami and what they did to Milwaukee, but they don't have Jimmy Butler tonight. But even with that said, they're leading the Knicks with a couple of minutes left to go in the first half. I think this the door's wide open for Philadelphia right now. Yeah, and you know, I I obviously could care less about you know obviously I'm going to watch the series you know Warriors versus Lakers, but I could care less about either team because I'm a Kings fan. So I, yep. I, I I would just love to see. Denver in there, and I'm shocked they're up 2-0 because I had them because <laughs> I had them losing this in five, and now they're up 2-0. So yeah. um, well, the the other issue was about what you're talking about. You got to remember Embiid is hurt. Yeah. I mean, so that's going to factor into this. I mean, Embiid did not even play in that win for the Sixers over Boston in Game One, and you know if he if he's not let's let's just call it the way it is. If he's not on the floor or not anywhere near 100, percent I don't think Philadelphia is going to the NBA Finals. Yeah, that's true, too. So and um, the only other thing I would say is, you know, like after watching Curry and, you know, like being in the arena, like I said yesterday, I think we should just appreciate uh, every single player. I think it's unfair to Curry or Magic Johnson to even compare those two. Um, and, and I do think maybe in the next 10, 15 years, we'll get somebody even better um, or, or we'll get somebody that changed the game a different way. And then we'll just, you know, but. This comparison thing will keep on going, but I think we should just appreciate all players. And, you know, it's it's here, actually been... Here, yeah, but here's the way you compare players. Yeah. You start off the conversation by saying this. Okay, let's all agree that Magic Johnson and Steph Curry are among the best players of their generation. Then you can get into who's better. Like, it drives me crazy when people discredit LeBron James. Yeah, like you, you're an idiot if you go on the air... And you discredit LeBron like some some national members of the media do. You're a moron. You're an idiot. So I don't even pay attention to that. If you're going to have a conversation of the greatest ever and you don't have LeBron James in the conversation, then you really don't belong in the conversation because there's no way anyone objectively can look at LeBron James' career and say he's not in the conversation for greatest player of all time. It's fine if you don't think he's the finest of all time, but if he's not in the conversation, then the conversation cannot be had. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And, you know, this whole thing about, you know, th- there's a lot of people in the media that, you know, for whatever reason are putting Steph up there. I'm like, Steph's great, but in this generation, LeBron is better, obviously better than him. And all those series that, that they played, if if Steph was on the other team, uh, they would have been swept. The only reason why, you know, those series were even remotely watchable is be- because of LeBron's greatness, because he really had nobody. And not to mention, they had to go and get Kevin Durant already on a stacked roster just to beat the guy twice. So, yeah. Well, you know, again, yeah. Yeah. the Warriors proved that they can win without Kevin Durant. You know that. They won championships before he got there and after he left. So no, I don't know about that. No, but. no, no. What I'm saying is, is that, like, if you're trying to compare who's better in this generation, Steph or LeBron, it's definitely LeBron. I mean, come on. Yes. Because, because Steph, I know. Yeah. Yes, he is. Yeah, yes. yeah, what I'm saying is, as much as as great as he is, he would not have been able to take a team to the finals. No. You know, no. like no, LeBron. I, 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 yeah. I would agree. Yeah. I, I don't see yeah. how anyone could put Steph Curry ahead of LeBron James as yeah. greatest. There's, there's just no way. Well, you know, Stephen A., you know, you're right. National media sometimes puts it out there. You know, it's all about, you know, in the moment because he's had a good game. But we'll see what happens. But uh, I'm, I'm wondering and get your take on this. Who, who, 
who do you have winning the Nugget series now? Because now I'm all confused. Well, Phoenix didn't look good in their first round when they played the Clippers. They barely beat a Clippers team without Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. So why would I think they beat uh, a fully stocked Denver team? Well, because they still have Kevin Durant, and I'm waiting for him to show up here. But you know, I just I just kind of figured with him and Booker, they would kind of be unstoppable. But they haven't really. And guess what? Shocking that uh, Chris Paul got hurt again. Here's the deal: you can't win in the NBA now if you're not a three-point shooting team. And the Phoenix Suns, although they're not out of it, it's kind of that they're proving that to be true. You know, if you have a, you can have great players on your team, but if you're not a three-point shooting team, you're not going to win. Yeah, and then lastly. Forgive me for this. Uh, when I was growing up, and you know, in the you know late '90s, early 2000s, obviously, the Yankees would always be there, and we would get to see them. But I always hated them because, you know, I, I always thought they bought the pennant, right? So, you know, I just, you know, but I do understand um, your point of view. It like the payroll doesn't matter, and this and that. So, uh, yeah. So. Well, the yeah. payroll, the payroll matters because yeah. it gives you a better opportunity for success. But I personally find it to be, I mean, when I see what a team, small markets like Tampa and other teams do with limited payroll because they make smart decisions, and I look at the mismanagement of the Yankees, as a Yankees fan, what bothers me is I've been saying this for years, okay? And I'm not saying I know more baseball than Brian Cashman. And again, understand I'm being a little bit tongue-in-cheek here, but I'm also being serious. I believe if I had been the general manager of the Yankees, over the last decade, I believe the Yankees would be a, would 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 be much better than they have been, and I really mean that because I think Brian Cashman's idea of putting a team together is laughable, and I've said it year in and year out, and I just think it's a joke. I think it's an absolute joke how Brian Cashman has put this team together. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, you're right. And 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 do you think that if you know the owner would have still been like, because I think he passed away about 10, 12 years ago now. Brian Cashman, if George Steinbrenner were the owner, would have been fired 10 times by now, okay? Okay. Brian Cashman would have been fired a long time ago. Brian Cashman wouldn't have anything to do with the Yankees if George Steinbrenner was the owner, okay? And by the way, Brian Cashman's successor would have been fired, and that general manager's successor would have been fired, okay? (laughs) But there's, there's no way Brian Cashman would be the general manager of the Yankees. Not a chance. Zero chance. Yeah, yeah. So... Yep, definitely. And uh, yeah, great. Uh, good talking to you. Thank you. Well, I guess take care, buddy. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye. All right, we got more calls to get to. And we say hello to Preston. Hello, Preston. How are you today? Doing great, Grant. How about yourself? I'm good, buddy. What's up? Hey, um, I uh, have a question for you. Um, so as I was on the way to the game the other day, I was telling my buddy that Tyreek Evans and Steph Curry were in the same draft class. Yep, <clears throat> and he wanted to know whether the Kings hit or missed on that on that pick because I mean, well, they obviously everyone missed on that pick that didn't take Steph Curry. Now Tyreek was the rookie of the year, um, and Steph for the first four years had ankle problems so much so that when they made the trade with Milwaukee, the Bucks wanted Monte Ellis instead of Steph Curry because they were worried about his ankles. So, you know, the reality is every team that didn't take Steph Curry in that draft made a mistake. Every team. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I just, because at the time, I mean, Tyreek Evans was a great, I mean, he was a really good player. I really loved watching him. And, um, you know, like you said, he's, he was the rookie of the year. He averaged 25 and five. And, but then as it seemed 
as time went on, it didn't, he didn't seem to fit into the Kings plans and stuff. And so I just wanted to know what your thought was on that. Cause obviously now you, well, the reason change. why he didn't fit into the plans is he never developed a, a good outside shot. And at that position, if you can't shoot from the perimeter, it's very difficult to be effective. He was like a running back playing point guard, but you still got to be able to shoot the ball. And he just wasn't able to do that. Right. And, and I, and I guess he's and he's probably one of those players that he has to have the ball in his hands to be effective too. Very true. Um, very, very true. But yeah, I just want to know your thought on that. Cause I mean, yeah, obviously now you would say, yeah, Steph Curry is the pick, but I, I just wanted to know like what your thoughts are on that. So. Right, you know, you can you. always go back every draft. You can always go back and you can say, D, you know, you should have done this. You should have done that. I mean, in the NFL, it happens every year. Right. I mean, yeah. we talk about that all the time. And so I think it's interesting to have these conversations. You can go back to Michael Jordan's draft, right? When Portland took Sam Bowie ahead of him, or you can, I mean, there are many other drafts you can look at. I mean, the reality is that all teams, even the teams that win championships make mistakes at times with their draft picks. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, and like you said, he was hurt his four, first four years and, and, and I mean, the Warriors probably had no idea who they even picked. So, I mean, <clears throat> but I mean, yeah, he's, he obviously has turned out to be a fantastic player, but um, thank you, Garrett. Preston, appreciate the call. Thank you very much. All right, oh. we get to some more phone calls right here, and we say hello to Ryan in Sacktown. What's up, buddy? Hey, what's going on, Nate? How are you doing this afternoon? I'm, I'm good, bud. What's going on? Nothing much. Um, I first want to say I don't have any issues with the Yankees because they don't call themselves America's team. So they're, they're, they're good in yeah, my no, they book. Do not. <laughs> that's, but, that's very, very, very true. Oh my God. Uh, but second off, um, I want to do a couple things on the Yankees. The first would be why it seems like they don't have as good of a farm system. They go out and buy their players once somebody else basically grows them. How is their farm system? Their farm system used to be great. It always used to be the best. When they were the Columbus Clippers, they won the Triple A championship almost every year. Their farm system always used to be really, really good. It used to be the best in baseball. I, I'm, not, what, I'm not sure how their farm system is now, but their farm system used to be great. It used to be the best in baseball. Gotcha. Because it seems like that's what Tampa Bay does, right? You know, they kind of yes. yep. they they grow their guys and they develop them through the draft. Um, but I, I guess my question is this, and I've heard you and Connor spitball this around, but if you're going out and buying all these Mercedes in expensive, you know, max contract guys, why is the trainer not like the top position in that organization? Yep. It's like, it's like yep. putting uh, pre or not putting premium in an expensive car. It makes no sense. It does not make any sense. Now, I also think we can sometimes use it as a cop-out just to blame the trainers when athletes get hurt. But this happens year in, year out with the Yankees. Now, I'm also their, – their longtime trainer for years and years and years and years and years was Gene Monahan, and he was regarded as the best trainer in baseball. But, um, you know, again, I'm not familiar with the Yankees training staff right now and how long they've been there and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it, it's just it's, – it, the last couple of years have been ridiculous how many players are hurt. Do you think baseball is the hardest sport to be a trainer in because of its its start and stop? It's slow. It's specialized with pitchers. That's a great question. I, I don't know the answer to that. So it's I don't have any knowledge of what would be the most challenging sport to be a trainer in. But 
Um, I know when the stress that pitchers put on their arms, you know, the sad thing is, you know, we're seeing this down in the secondary, the youth level, the amount of Tommy John surgeries that, you know, orthopedic surgeons are seeing on, you know, 14, 15, 16 year old kids is ridiculous. I mean, kids are blowing out their arms every day in America. And it's unfortunate that arm is not meant to throw a baseball the way the game is played. And now, especially when you go to a ballpark, when you go to any stadium, you walk by an area where they have a speed gun and you can step up and you can throw the ball as hard as you want. Well, that's mm-hmm. really the worst thing in the world for your arm to just walk in, not warmed up and try to throw the ball as hard as you can to see what it registers on the speed gun. I mean, all these things are so stupid. It defies belief. And then, you know, certain managers that teach kids to throw breaking balls, you know, before their arm is fully developed is a death sentence for them. So it's just absurd what goes on. But I, I, I don't have enough knowledge to answer your question in terms of which sport would be the most challenging. Yeah, and just to add on what you're saying about um, the youth, I think also what goes into that too is kids are now specializing in one sport. You know, like some of us that are older, like we played three, four different sports. Now with basketball, it's just AAU or it's just baseball year round. And so if you yeah. are a pitcher, that is uh, not good on your arm at a young age. But anyways, all right, let's get into the topic of the day. Dylan Brooks. So I don't like the guy, but I'm going to look at it objectively. I'm looking at his career stats. He is on the decline. Um, he scored four point or four less points this year. Uh, field goal percentage, second lowest of his career. Um, and I think I'm going to go on the record right now. I think he's going to be out of the league, Grant, because look, and he was more on a national level. Grizzlies were in more national games. You look at DeMarcus Cousins. I'm going to bring that name up. He was a lot of trouble in the locker room, a lot of trouble on the court, but he produced. Dylan Brooks is too much trouble for too little production. Yep, it's very true. That's very, very true. That's very true. I mean, the numbers don't warrant a team's licking their chops to go, oh, gee, we can't wait to get Dylan Brooks, plus his behavior. Uh, You know, I got to tell you, I don't normally root for guys to fail. I hope he's out of the league. I think that would be a really good lesson to other players that there's a right way and a wrong way to be a professional. And, you know, when you go the Dylan Brooks route, you could be jeopardizing your future. And so, you know, it might be good for him to have uh, a a defining moment in his life where he can go, wait a minute, I need to change because I do have talent and I've got to figure out the best way to get back to where I was. Because, you know, he was really good for a while. I mean, he was a really good player, but you're right. The numbers don't warrant, don't warrant that you're spot on. Yep. And I mean, he, he put himself in a position, even if uh, he went out there and dominated LeBron and the Grizzlies moved on, it was still a loss for him off the court. I mean, we, I'm sure the Grizzlies probably would be doing the exact same thing that they did today. Uh, yep. Coming out, you know, saying what he did about LeBron, some of the antics on the court. I mean, there, it, I'm all for a little trash talk. I'm all for spicing it up. But then there's crossing the line and you know i've not been inside the memphis locker room but i based off of what you see in the media and seeing him entering the arena i I can't say that that's probably a good influence on john morant spot on i don't disagree with that um that franchise appears to be you know what's interesting about memphis they were one of those teams that you looked at that was right on the cusp 
of being maybe that new team in the West. Yeah. And their internal problems with players that you just mentioned, and they're now just another team currently in the West. And I just find it very interesting that, yeah, you can be talented, you can be good, but boy, it can blow up in a hurry if you don't have players that are able to handle whatever comes with being a star in this league or a very good player. And it's so refreshing when you look at De'Aaron Fox and DeMontis Savonis, the two all-stars, family yep. men, right, kids, you know, not out and about getting in trouble, not conducting themselves in an embarrassing fashion. It's very refreshing. And I, I think Kings fans should not lose sight of rooting for this team and how enjoyable it is to root for guys that appear to be really good people, too. Amen, Napes. Spot on. And, you know, I, I feel bad for the fans of Memphis because Memphis, small market, you know, teams like that only come along once in a while, um, especially going back to talking about Tampa Bay, growing your stars, growing John ja Morant, you know, and now it kind of blows up in your face. So, uh, you know, I'm rooting for like an Oklahoma City. They look like the future is very, very bright with Holmgren coming yeah. in next year. So we'll see what happens. But uh, thanks for the time, bud. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. All right. Good call. Let's get to uh, some others. And uh, we say hello to Zach. Hey, Zach, welcome to the show. How are you? Hey, I just wanted to uh, comment on two different things. The uh, One of them was Dylan Brooks. But first, one of the cars mentioned, like, Tyreek Evans and his early career. So, like, with a guy like Tyreek Evans, like, obviously he was phenomenal in his rookie year. And I think – I thought after that he was going to turn into a uh, perennial all-star. And so, like, as a fan, it's, like, it's hard to, like – gauge but like for someone like you that's been around the NBA for like 30 plus years for a guy like Tyreek and the team that he was on like why he never blossomed do you think that's because coaching do you think it was no himself, no I think the real, no I think the worst I think the worst thing that happened to Tyreek Evans was in his second year the Kings drafted Demarcus Cousins that's what I was about to say and, yeah I, I just like that, I and, and I will tell you I will tell you that when Demarcus Cousins came to Sacramento as a rookie it was the worst thing that anybody had ever seen in any locker room in the NBA. That's how bad it was. I mean, nobody could, I mean, it, what happened in practice was beyond comprehension. I mean, it was absolutely unlike anything that, you know, even, even, you know, the assistant coaches who normally are the liaison between the head coach and the team. In other words, if you can't, if the head coach can't talk to you, okay, no problem. You got a couple of other assistant coaches. He would curse at every single assistant coach. Then they ended up bringing in his high school coach, okay, to try to work with him. Well, that didn't work. He cursed him out. I mean, it just it, – it was it was a unwinnable situation when Tyreek Evans was entering a second year coming off his rookie of the year. It was a, it was a team that was not capable of succeeding because Cousins took the air out of the entire locker room every single day. And anyone that was with the organization knew that, knows that. And if they tell you anything differently, they're lying to you. So basically what you're saying is primarily DeMarcus Cousins that ruined Tyreek's career. I don't think I would make that type of I'm a not statement. To say, say no, I, I'm not going to say he ruined his career. I'm saying that in his time in Sacramento, it was an impossible environment to win. Tyreek subsequently left Sacramento and played 
you know, elsewhere without DeMarcus Cousins. So, no, first of all, yeah. I don't think anybody ruined Tyreek's career. I think on the surface, he had a good career. He didn't have a great career, but he had a good career. So I don't think anybody ruined his career. But when DeMarcus came to Sacramento as a rookie for that period of time, it was impossible for the Kings to win. It just was never going to happen. So, like, I mean, as far as, like, because the few players that they drafted after, like, I think it was Ben McLemore, Jimmer Fredette, and I... Terrible, terrible. Like, oh, terrible. How much do you think like Demarcus really had on just them mentally affecting their the mentally on the court? Because it just seemed like from a mental perspective, like it. I, I don't. know, This is just me pers- personally, but it just seemed like a person like Demarcus could have gotten to the heads of those young guys and affect their development. Like, tell me if you think it's accurate. Well, I know this. He, I, I I will say this sentence. You, I, he didn't ruin Tyreek Evans' career, but I believe he ruined Nick Stauskas' career. And I believe that Nick Stauskas would have been a serviceable role player in the NBA. And he actually ended up being that, but I think he would have been better. I do think Cousins ruined his career, and I do mean ruined, and I'm very well aware of what I'm saying. You know, as far as Jimmer... Jimmer never really, I thought Jimmer was going to be a really good NBA player. He couldn't make it with other teams. His game just ultimately and his, the way he played just wasn't suitable uh, for the NBA. I mean, it just wasn't. And then when Isaiah Thomas left Sacramento, his career flourished and became an all-star and an MVP candidate, you know, when he was in Boston. So I I, I don't know. You know, all I'm saying is for the first couple of years that DeMarcus was in Sacramento, it was an ugly, ugly, ugly locker room. And every coach that coached there would tell you the same thing, that the team was not ever going to win with him on the team. Didn't matter who else was around him. It was just never going to happen. Yeah, I agree. And then the whole thing with Dylan Brooks, like, gosh, I I can't stand that guy. Like, I mean, as you know, you'd hate to uh, root for a player to lose. But, like, it just seems like for a guy like that, it's like he doesn't deserve to be on an NBA roster. Like, he may not be. Ryan may be right. He may not be on an NBA roster. I mean, he may I, very well only, not be on an NBA roster. The only way I could see him being on an NBA roster if there's a team out there that is in desperate for like a two guard position, two or three. But other than that, it's like I don't know why you would want that on your team after like the whole thing with Demarcus. Like, look, there's a reason why Demarcus is not in the league anymore. And so it's like there's a reason why after he left Sacramento, nobody wanted to keep him. I mean, New Orleans traded him. Yeah. Then he went to Golden State. They didn't want him after one year. The Lakers didn't want him. Milwaukee was on his roster. They they cut him. Uh, then after inactivity, Denver picked him up, and they didn't have him back after one year. There's a reason for all of that. You know, fans need to stop sometimes and analyze why it is that a person that they put on a pedestal, oh, great player, oh, gee, bring back Boogie. Well, wait a minute. Look at the entire career path. There's not one team, not one in the NBA, not one team that had DeMarcus Cousins and then didn't have him and wish that they still had him. Not Sacramento, not New Orleans, not the Lakers, not the Warriors. I'm sorry, I'm going out of order here. Not the Clippers, not the Bucks, not the Nuggets. Not one team, not one team in the NBA that had DeMarcus Cousins and then didn't have him said, oh, my gosh. I wish we had Boogie back. Never happened. Not one time. Got it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that's all I got. Thank you, Grant. Thank you. You know, and then these fans, they still put the guy on a pedestal. Oh, gee, you know, you need him. He'll put you over the top. Yeah, really? That's why That's why nobody has gone out and, you know, and, and you know, teams are always very diplomatic. Oh, gee, we want to thank him. You know, Mike Budenholzer complimenting DeMarcus about how good he was when he was with Milwaukee. Then why'd you, why'd you wave him? 
Steve Kerr, you know, when they played Denver last year in the playoffs after the final game, went out of his way to compliment DeMarcus. Well, if you were complimenting him so much, the follow-up question would have been, Steve, you know, you just spoke very high about DeMarcus. How come the Warriors didn't make any any overture? They didn't make any effort to re-sign him. Why is that, Steve? That would have been a follow-up question. I mean, if you have a coach that's on the podium and he's basically talking in superlatives, about an individual who's not on the team anymore, the natural follow-up question would be, well, then, Steve, how come he's not on the Warriors this year? How come the team didn't make any effort to go re-sign him? That would have been a great – I would have loved to see Steve Kerr get out of that one. That would have been beautiful. I would have paid to watch that. But, again, the media the, – the obvious questions so often are not asked. It's like after the game on Sunday. How come the first question wasn't, hey, Mike, uh, just curious um, – why is it that Davion Mitchell only played eight minutes while Steph Curry was going off to score 50 points? He had been a big part of this series. Why? Where, where was Davion Mitchell? That should have been the first question asked after the Kings lost to the Warriors in game seven. It's mind-boggling to me. It really is. I don't get it. I, I don't get it. All right. Don't forget, tomorrow is our open form Wednesday. And so we'll be able to talk about the uh, NBA games tonight and anything else that is going on. If you want to get in on the program before we wrap it up for today, now is the time to do it. You've got uh, the Knicks without Jimmy Butler of Miami and it's 54 to 51 Miami at the half. Pretty amazing what Miami's done. You know, they beat Milwaukee, albeit Giannis got hurt, missed a, a part of game one, missed two games, but they still beat the Bucks. They went into MSG and beat the Knicks in game one. And here you are at the break, and you're up 54-51 without Jimmy Butler. Pretty amazing, considering you're without Tyler Hero, too. That's the Miami Heat culture and Eric Spolster. That's what that is. It's, it's culture. Now, I'm not saying they're going to win the game. You know, if the Knicks lose this game, I, I, I would normally say a team is done, but Miami really doesn't have that home court advantage that, to me, the Knicks could go down there and win a couple games because they're going to have, you know, seven or 8,000 people in that arena rooting for the Knicks anyway. Matter of fact, you'll see a ton of Knicks fans at the game in Miami. Tons. I mean, that, there will be a ton of New York fans at games three and four. But I, I don't see the Knicks winning four or five against the Heat uh, if they lose this game. But again, 54-51 uh, at the half. Hey, appreciate you joining me today. Enjoy the rest of your Tuesday. Tomorrow at 9 a.m., I'm going to be on with Larry Kruger on his YouTube channel. So 9 a.m. tomorrow. I hope you can check it out. I'll be on with Larry Kruger. So long, everybody. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.